Welcome to a place where we combine equal parts science, technology, design, and entrepreneurship. Then we gradually stir in magic to the mixture, and you have the Perception Podcast. Join us in conversations with design heroes, inspirational thinkers, business leaders, and trailblazers across the globe. Our guest today is Henrik Fisker. Henrik is a world-renowned designer of beautiful automobiles like the BMW Z8, Aston Martin DB9 and Vantage, the Fisker Karma, Mustang Rocket, and his latest innovation, the E-Motion. Other than automobiles, he has also worked on the Lodge Jensen Viking motorcycle and collaborated with yacht builder Benetti on a 160-foot super yacht concept called the Fisker 50. Perception has a deep passion for cars and have worked with numerous automotive companies across the globe, so this is a special treat. He's a legend in the automotive design world, and we are honored to have him on the podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. Here's my conversation with Henrik Fisker. We've got a very special guest today, Henrik Fisker. Thank you, Henrik, so much for joining us on the Perception Podcast. You're welcome, Ben. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up, your education. Well, I'm originally from Denmark, um, and uh, I, so I grew up in Denmark, and uh, I always kind of was interested in, in design, uh, and maybe that's a little bit of the, the Danish roots there. We spent a lot of time uh, indoors looking at furniture, <laughs> so that's probably what the Danes are most uh, known for is furniture design. Uh, but eventually, uh, I was excited about car design, so I went to... Uh, Art Center College of Design, which is a uh, an American uh, design school out of Pasadena, but they at that time also had a branch uh, in Switzerland. So I went to that school and uh, finished there in 1989. Great. Did, so did you have any role models or idols that kind of guided you towards that automotive uh, world? Yeah, for me, I think it was always sort of uh, the Italian designers at that time, you know, in the sort of 70s. Uh, so Etel Design, you know, Giugiaro, Giorgio Giugiaro was, I think, a big role model. He did a, a, some amazing concept cars and, of course, designed a lot of, you know, very successful uh, normal cars like the, the very first Volkswagen Golf, for instance. Uh, he designed, and of course, a lot of Maseratis and other exciting vehicles. And then, of course, Bertone, Pininfarina, sort of all the Italian, I think, design houses and designers in the 70s were probably the most prominent ones. Great, yeah. Those, some of those are my uh, my favorite as well. Um, so, so within the automotive design, so how did you get your your first big break? Well, so when I finished uh, uh, Arts and the College of Design, that we had several car companies that came to interview uh, the, the 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 graduates uh, in Switzerland, and uh, I I really wanted to go to Italy actually, and so I went to Italy myself since. Uh, for me at that time didn't come to interview and uh, uh, kind of a negotiating a job offer but then BMW came uh, and uh, and uh, interviewed me and offered me a job uh, something I couldn't really resist it was in their new advanced design studio so I was really excited about it and uh, so I started there right out of school uh, at BMW in uh, 1989. Well, that's awesome. So you know, you've designed for Aston Martin, BMW, a bunch of other car companies, and of course your own brands. How do you measure the success of a well-designed vehicle? You know, it's it's really difficult because, um, you know, on one hand, uh, you can design a vehicle that sells really well. You can also design a vehicle that maybe when it gets introduced, it's it's maybe not a huge hit, but then later 
it becomes, you know, all, you know, a classic vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've kind of been, I guess, involved in both. Uh, I, I've, I've maybe been lucky not to have to design a very, you know, basic vehicle like a minivan or something where you have very little chance of that becoming, you know, obviously, a, a, you know, a sort of a, a classic vehicle or timeless vehicle. But, you know, one example of a vehicle that when we launched it, it was not maybe the biggest success, but it then grew on people and became uh, today now kind of a, a classic vehicle that sells for high prices, the uh, BMW uh, Z8. Yep. Uh, when that came out, you know, we, uh, it was a fairly good sales success, but it was never planned in very high numbers. Uh, originally, that plan to build about 2,500. They extended the production to 5,800. Uh, but, you know, uh, there was a lot of skeptics because it was a, a virtual design at that time. Sort of putting the design brief was to put all the BMW brand, you know, DNA in one vehicle, which is of course the ultimate driving machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I what I really did with that project. Uh, but now you can kind of see how it's become a real timeless collector's vehicle, and the price is more than double that it was when it was new. Um, so that that was something that you it's very hard to know whether that's going to happen or not. And then of course it's a pure sales success straight out of the of the of you know the you know, of, of the finished uh, vehicle was um, the, the Aston Martin V8 Vantage. That became, I think still is, the most sold, you know, Aston Martin ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and who knows where that's going to end up. It's going to end up as a timeless classic or not. We don't know that yet because it's still on sale. Uh, so you can't really say it's classic yet. Um, so, you know, it's. I guess I've been involved in a little bit of, of both from that perspective. Yep, and, and you know, for... I mean, not that this is any measure, but, you know, the Aston Martin and BMW have both been in the Bond films. You're, you know, the Z8 was in The World is Not Enough, and in the later movies, the Aston Martin uh, was one of the cars, of course, in the in the one with Pierce Brosnan. I think the helicopter, like, cuts it cuts it in half. I think that was one of my nightmares of that movie. The, the car was so gorgeous, and then <laughs> they, they cut it in half on the pier. Um, so it was something that was just like, wow, how could you do that? Kill Bond. Don't kill the car. Well, tell me about it. I didn't even know about that. I was invited to the premiere, and, I, and, and we didn't know about the story of, of the film. And I was looking for this, and hoping for some amazing car chase, and suddenly the car gets cut in half. So uh, that, was not, that was not my best movie experience, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so some, some designers talk about, you know, the, the front of the car and, you know, it displaying the face, of course. And uh, I'm personally a fan of the, uh, of the rear of, of uh, vehicles. That's how I recognize them. But... Um, what, what part of the automobile is your favorite part to design? Well, I think that today, you know, when you, when you're looking from my perspective, at least, I believe you have to look at a vehicle as a whole. You have to design, you know, the entire vehicle uh, as one piece of, of, of design. Mm -hmm. And for me, there are three elements that are important. It's, it's the proportions, it's the sculpture, and then it's the graphics. And, um, you know, this, this is important from all angles, but specifically the, the proportions is in side view extremely important. But then proportion, of course, of everything, you know, what size of headlamp do you put on compared to the size of the vehicle, etc. I think one of the big things that's changing now as we move into electric vehicles is, for instance, the front face, as you mentioned, of the car. Because, you know, one of the things that designers spend a long time on is really defining a car's looks by the grill. Right. of the vehicle and of course the grill originates from the fact that 
you know, when somebody took you know, a coach and put on a, a motor, uh, an engine, then they needed to put on a big radiator to cool it. And the radiator then, you know, that's where the grill came from. And, and of course, a car today that still has almost what looks like a radiator as a Rolls Royce. Uh, that still looks almost like the original radiator. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the change now to electric vehicles, we don't need the grill and the radiator anymore. So that has been a big challenge uh, and I think will become a big challenge for, for car designers because what do you now do in the front? Do you make a fake grill? Do you just remove the grill? What do you do? So what I did with the Fisker Emotion was to, to look at what since the technology that essentially built the first original grill before the radiator, what is the new technology? And the new technology that we need in front of the car is a LIDAR or a radar. So I designed kind of a unique element in the front of the Fisker Emotion uh, where we are putting in the LIDAR and we're also going to sort of expose it and show it with some interesting design when we show our car at CE Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in January. So I think that's a very exciting that you're going to, that we now are able to sort of move truly into the next life of, of the automobile and, and really look at how to be design the vehicle of the future. Mm-hmm. So you've designed some, some really beautiful cars. So where do you get your inspiration and, and how do you share that inspiration with the team that's working with you? Well, I think for me, it's, it's always been about the love for, for cars, for the automobile. And um, I think that there is, uh, you know, what, what's interesting when you look at the history of car design and the history of the automobile is that, of course, like probably many things, it started out in a very innocent way. But what is unique about the automobile is that it started out uh, with, you know, just pure speed and beauty. And the element of safety was zero somewhere, you know, up until probably the late 60s when we started to see certain safety elements come into vehicles, and then it really accelerated in the 70s and 80s until today. So I like to kind of go back and look at that kind of purity and and kind of simplicity that was, um, you know, way back when, when sort of I think was the golden age of car design was probably the late 50s and the 60s and maybe even a little bit the early 70s sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of interesting and, and I think inspirational to look at what uh, designers and engineers were thinking before there was too many rules and regulations around the automobile. Um, and I think what is exciting now with going to electric vehicles is that it frees up the thinking a little bit maybe so we can still we can get back again to looking at how we can truly be original and differentiate the vehicles more because i felt that in the last sort of i would say 20 25 years i think the cars have kind of got to a perfection stage where Everybody was putting the engine in the same place, the gas tank in the same place, the people, mm-hmm. the wheelbase. So when you get into a car segment, all the cars at the same proportion. And then there was, now you're sort of having designers style the car instead of really trying to design the vehicle and even looking at proportions. So for me, I get the inspiration from a lot, a lot of time, this sort of original era of when the car was born, which is you know, pre-1970, I would say. Uh, but I also just get inspired by other uh, other cultures, other things in life. It can be furniture design, architecture, whatever it might be. 
because I also think whatever you design has to be relevant to current times and where we're going into in the future. So you kind of have to combine, you know, how we live our lives today, what's going on in the world and what is, what is inspiring you today. And, and of course, maybe still look at what was the original, uh, you know, fantastic things around the, the automobile when you look back at where was the golden era of the automobile in certain certain areas because it's not you can you can't say that uh, you know everything was fantastic in the 60s there might have been some other areas where there was also good mm-hmm. so what was uh one of the most beautifully designed automobiles you've ever seen that's not one of yours i'm going to put you on the spot <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think for me, you know, the the Ferrari two seventy five GTB, I, I really think as beautiful proportion, beautiful sculpture. Of course, the Jaguar E Type. I prefer the the later models with the V twelve that had a slightly wider track at the rear, which many of the purists prefer the earlier ones, but I really like the later ones. Um, so those are like two cars that I think is just gorgeous proportions, beautiful vehicles. Uh, but there's obviously uh, a lot of other vehicles out there that that has, you know, kind of inspired me uh, through my my sort of uh, I guess um, you know uh, you know life as as a designer, uh, and it didn't always have to be you know supercars. Uh, there's also some supercars that is in a way a little weird, but they somehow have a certain attraction. So, for instance, the Lamborghini Countach. Uh, is a very radical and sometimes a little awkward car, very radical, but it somehow has a certain inspiration, um, you know. Uh, so, so you know, there's been a lot of cars that kind of have that that can also. There's also vehicles that I think can give you maybe even the guts to try something else, mm-hmm. uh, and and really look at what, where you look at some design and go, you know, it's really amazing they they actually did that. Uh, you know, if I think about, you know, the 1979 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am, you know, it's kind of a, a you know, a, to a certain extent, maybe a little bit of a comical car because it's, it's, uh, it, it's so overdone. Mm-hmm. But on yep. the other hand, when you think about, when you look at this car today, I think it's amazing how uh, a vehicle in that price class was so dramatically designed. I mean, it almost looked like, you know, a, a supercar, but it was attainable for almost anybody. And I, I, that kind of inspires me to think that there should be uh, much more excitement in, in the lower price classes of cars than there is today. And hopefully when I design my next vehicle, which will be a lower price class, we can bring some of that kind of excitement, maybe not as radical as that, but at least bring some more diversity and excitement into to, uh, you know, uh, the normal price class of vehicles. Right. So, you know, at Perception, we're huge car fans, and, and, and particularly I'm a Mustang fanatic. Tell me how the Rocket came to life, because when I heard you worked on that, I was very excited about it. Yeah, you know, uh, for the, the Rocket came, came about, first of all, you know, I always kind of dreamt about designing a, uh, a Ford Mustang, and, uh, of course, you know, as it so happened, when I when I actually uh, uh, arrived at Ford, um, you know, the, the, they had just finished whatever that iteration was of the Mustang, so I was not able to participate in that program. Mm-hmm. Um, so later, um, it was back in 2000, must have been 14, I um, 
I, uh, you know, was doing some little doodling and sketching, kind of almost like on a napkin or just a little piece of paper, and just sort of sketched the Mustang, and I was seeing they were coming out with a new Mustang, and I kind of thought, how would I do that? And then I started seeing some spy photos of it, and I thought it'd be really cool right when it comes out to kind of do something unique at the same moment. So I just took my, uh, I was actually driving an Oldsmobile 1972 uh, um, Toronado, which I had converted into a convertible at that time. I took that car and I drove it up to one of my friends, uh, Bo Buckman, which uh, runs one of the biggest Ford dealerships uh, and uh, in the world, actually, here in California, Galpin. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I showed him some sketches. I've done some nicer sketches and said, hey, Bo, it'd be really fun one day to do something. And uh, he said, well, why don't we do it now? It looks amazing. I love it. He said, why don't we just do it? We put it on the LA Auto Show. We only had three months to do it, and and we had only seen some spy photos of of the Mustang. So it was really difficult because it was hard. We, We couldn't get, even though Bo knew Ford really well, it was hard to get hold of the car. Right. So he finally got hold of it, and I had to start designing it already, just via so because we had to obviously made it fit to the new Mustang platform because you know we weren't building a whole new car. So we finally got the car. I think about eight weeks before the show, and uh, we scanned it and we put my design on this vehicle in terms of we made a full size clay model, and my inspiration for this vehicle was was really sort of the late 60s, early 70s Mustangs that was sort of a little bigger than the original, but more muscular. And, and really, for me, kind of, for me, really was like the epitome of, of a muscle car, you know, mm-hmm. with the scoops. And they, they really showed the power they had with the long hood, the scoops, and, you know, everything that, that, that you wanted to have on a muscle car. Um, so I really wanted to put that into that vehicle and be a little radical, uh, a little maybe over the top to a certain extent. Because I think that's what a muscle car is all about, about being a little bit over the top. You don't want to be timid. You want to show what you got. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was just a, it was a great experience to, uh, to work on this uh, project. The car drives fantastic. Um, and it's been a little long to get the car out because we decided to do everything in carbon fiber and put new suspension and then testing it and 21-inch wheels. Uh, and we widened, of course, the vehicle. So it became almost a, a complete vehicle program versus just, it's much more than a body kit. It's really, you know, almost a new vehicle uh, with all the, the pretty much all outer panels in carbon fiber except for the doors. And, uh, you know, we, we, we changed uh, even the placement of the headlamp, a lot of stuff. So it's it's been a long process, but a fun project. And uh, it's good to see a couple of them getting delivered. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. It's great. So... I, I know you're a very busy person. You have uh, HF Design, uh, VLF Automotive, and of course, you know Fisker Inc. Uh, and the announcement of Emotion and it coming out. Uh, what are some of the exciting things you're working on that you could talk about? Well, right now we're of course working full speed on the Fisker Emotion. That's the most important project, and and I really will say I, I dedicate really now most of my time here at, at Fisker Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big undertaking to come out, you know, with, with the next generation of electric vehicles. And I think, you know, having been in this space since 2007, when we started Fisco originally, I think there's, uh, first of all, of course, a lot of movement in the technology. 
But I also think um, with the experience I now have from the previous venture, I'm trying to take some of that experience and really apply it and think about what would I do different uh, this time around. And I think that that experience have kind of, uh, you know, really helped me to think about even down to the details of a complete new business model. Um, so I'm thinking about a whole new business model for Fisker Inc. I'm thinking about, you know, why is a car looking the way it does and how can we change the proportions of it? You know, how is the interior going to look? Uh, I think the Fisker Emotion uh, is, is going to be really setting sort of the tone of what we're doing at Fisker. It's, it looks a lot more compact and dramatic than you would you would think an electric four-door sedan can look like, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a lot of interior space in it, more than the competition. Um, so it's been fantastic to kind of take the time and really put all the experience into this vehicle. And, of course, we're also working on a second vehicle, so we have a lot of stuff to do, which is a much more affordable vehicle. We're not ready to talk too much about that, but the Fisker Emotion, the first vehicle, we will show it sort of in its full attire, if you want, in uh, at CES, together with also announcing our partner for uh, the autonomous part of it, our LiDAR partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're very excited. It's a lot of work to be done. Uh, we're not going to expose everything we're doing in CES, but we'll get a good, a, a good view of, of uh, the entire vehicle, both inside and out. Great. I can't wait to see it. With the motion, you know, there's a lot of in the EV uh, world of, of cars, a lot of disruption, like you said, you know, the, the design. Now all the, all the designers have to take into account that they don't need to necessarily use uh, a grill. Um, there's a lot more um, room in, within the vehicle. You know, perhaps you have now two trunks. What's the next big thing coming uh, as part of the EV cars that are rolling out? Well, you know, I think that you know, the EV has still been as an infant stage. Hmm. Um, and I think that uh, one of the big things that everybody's working on, is, of course, uh, the battery technology. So we have decided to take that effort in-house for the future. Uh, we're still working with the existing cells from LG Kim, but we're packaging them in a different way in a proprietary battery pack to give us more energy density. But obviously, we're also working on what is the future of battery technology because that will, again, drive uh, the overall proportions of the vehicle to, to you know, really get the battery as small as possible. So I think that's a very big thing. I think the second thing that I mentioned in the beginning is that when we look at design, it really means that I think the automotive designers and, of course, the car companies, they need to rethink how a car looks, specifically from the front and specifically when it's about the grill. Uh, we don't really need this big grill and the air coming in we, we, the way we need it in the past with a gasoline engine. So I think this is going to drive some dramatic new designs. Uh, the question also is, do we really need two trunks? Do we want to use that front trunk? Mm-hmm. Is it really that uh, great to have to get in, you know, when you, if you park the car in the garage with the front in first or... Do you want to get in, you know, is it easy to get in that front trunk or do we put other stuff in there? Maybe we remove the air condition from the main compartment out in the front to free up space inside. You know, so I think there's a lot of new discoveries which is going to be happening in the electric, sort of in the car industry, in the electric vehicles over the next 10 years 
just like we have sort of perfected the gasoline vehicle over the last hundred years, mm-hmm. we are in the infancy of electrics. So I think we're going to see a lot of interesting new things happening, and I think uh, there's a possibility to really see true new innovations happening in this space. And I also think we will see a lot more uh, diversification in designs and proportions and vehicles as we go forward. Yep. And, and I think also, you know, like you're saying, within the car itself and the growing um, uh, outside world. So, for example, you know, like the maintenance for the cars, you know, it's not necessarily just taking it to uh, uh, the Jiffy Lubes and things like that. You know, uh, are the other mechanics becoming more engineers than they are mechanics? Um, so there's a whole uh, disruptive path I see moving forward, which is great. You know, I mean, we need disruption when it comes to, you know, new technologies. No, I just say I totally agree with you. I think we will see a major change in how people uh, interact with the vehicles. We have to make it simpler and easier for people to own a vehicle because it's become too difficult. And that's why, you know, you have the growth of the ride sharing. Uh, And if you want in the future to take part of selling a vehicle to a customer, I think it needs to become a lot easier to own it, a lot less costly. And that's what we're working on at Fisker as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, connection to the person, not only to, you know, uh, an emotional connection, which is what, you know, that that's really makes me look at a vehicle first is, you know, the eye-catching aspect of it. But then getting in the car, how easy it connects to the rest of my life, whether it be my phone, you know, in the future, the car is going to be connecting to the home and all that stuff that's integrated in within that, that whole ecosystem of all the different types of technologies that are out there. So that's a very good point. So you've, got, you've designed cars. Uh, I, I went to your site, of course, to do some research. You, you've designed a super yacht. Uh, I think it's called the Fisker 50. Um, even a motorcycle. What what other passions do you have besides um, anything with an engine? <laughs> well, the next thing I'm I'm working on is actually a watch. So uh, I'm working with uh, uh, a friend. We we uh, we acquired an old uh, British coach built company that probably everybody has forgot about, and uh, we're we're designing I think a really unique watch that sort of has an inspiration from that area of, of era of coach building. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a really unique watch, and uh, we're going to launch it under that new, under that brand. And we may even do some special coach build cars in the future. I don't know. We'll see. But it's, it's kind of a fun project, and a, it's sort of a little bit of a passion project to just design a really cool watch. Uh, so, so that's kind of the next thing I'm, I'm working on right now, which is not in the car industry. That's great. It's nice to break away every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, just to get some inspiration from somewhere else. You know, it's, yep. I think always is good. It's great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out. This has been a real treat for me. Um, I know we've met at CES in the past, and uh, it's always a pleasure to, to speak with you about uh, the projects you have going on. But I appreciate you taking the time out and uh, sharing your time with uh, me and getting involved with the Perception Podcast. Absolutely, Danny, and I hope to see you at CES next year. Yeah, we will do. I'll definitely hook up with you. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Take care. And that wraps up another episode of the Perception Podcast. As always, send any questions and comments to ask at experienceperception.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on our site, experienceperception.com slash contact. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and write a nice review. See you on the next episode.